0: Hello, folks, and welcome back. I'm executive producer of the Electric Election Road Trip, Saul Spady, alongside our host, Benjamin Backer. I found my way back because it's our final podcast, and we are at High West Distillery in Utah. We are with Isaac and Ted. Ted, I'm going to throw it to you. Can you tell us exactly where we are for our listeners and let them know kind of how exciting this final podcast is?
1: We are in the beautiful city of Wandship, Utah. Uh, on Blue Sky Ranch. So we are on a property that links about 3,500 acres. Uh, We decided years ago, as we were expanding out and we were running out of room in downtown Park City of where we were gonna build our distillery. And uh, David Perkins, our founder, and one of our other investors who uh, controls the property out here, had this brilliant idea to build a uh, state-of-the-art distillery uh, out in the middle of nowhere. On top of a mountain. Yeah, on top of a mountain that Isaac gets to uh, distill the delicious liquid on this, in this beautiful setting.
2: Well, speaking of mountains, you guys like mountains and you like the environment, and you guys are doing a lot to protect it. I guess it'd be great to just kind of hear just from the broad sense, what you're working on on sustainability because I know it's at the core of, of this distillery's work.
3: Yeah, so we've got kind of two components of it. Uh, We were going to speak about our work with the American Prairie Reserve, and then some of the stuff we're doing from an operations standpoint. Where do you guys want to start?
2: Let's start with the operations.
3: Okay, great. Um, I'll take that one then. So (laughs) we uh, we focus on sustainability here at High West from a couple different viewpoints. So um, we'll kind of go grain to glass or grain to waste, maybe. all of our uh, grain that we use here on site the distillery is sourced from within a day's drive of the distillery so we contract grow a couple different varieties um, of grain most mostly rye and barley with um, local farmers and then we're uh, we're entering into talks with uh, an organization in southwestern colorado to grow our own variety of of corn so we'll have um, really tight control over the, the quality and the, the you know the technical specifications of, of our raw materials coming on site. But then also um, minimize our, our carbon footprint, you know, related to, to freight from coming on around the world, around the country.
0: Ted, I'd love to jump back a little bit and get some perspective on High West distillery uh, kind of, uh, in general. I read online that this was the first distillery that was created in Utah since Prohibition. You said it was even further back than that. Can you kind of let our listeners know how much effort and energy went into both creating this really uh, self-sustaining distillery, but then the history of just kind of starting a distillery in Utah in general?
1: Well, the whole... Uh, the t- The short version is, so David had this uh, love of bourbon, right? Love of whiskey and David Perkins, the founder, uh, as well as a love of the West, right? He was from uh, uh, Georgia, uh, lived up in the Northeast, um, but always had a fascination as a kid with the Cowboys and the West and the freedom and all that. And so when he had the epiphany to to really put some energy behind uh, creating a distillery, Utah and Park City was his first choice because it was a place that he loved to be. The history of kind of spirits in Utah is uh, it wasn't just prohibition, but it was actually uh, Brigham Young and the Mormon pioneers that came over the hill. Uh, back in the 1860s um, uh, whiskey was part of their culture right it was uh, a large bartering tool right so it was a it was a commodity that they used but alcohol was also the anesthetic at the time so Brigham Young and the church were were big distillers uh, nobody had attempted to start a distillery legally since then so we always joke that um, uh, yeah legally uh we always joke that uh you know david had to when he had the idea and he had his business plan he had to go to the legislature and they had to like find the old bylaws and you know blow all the dust off so the to educate all the you know the governor and the state that hey you you can do a distillery in utah uh and so that was kind of the that, that was that was really the, the genesis of it and then you know 2007 he had the he, he put it all together and uh, 2009, we opened up uh, the, the, our facility in Park City. Uh, rendezvous was actually 2007. So we did it in a contract um, uh, brewery, uh, Wasatch Brewery. We had our still and, and, and put our first product out. And you know, 10, 10 years later, 11 years later, you know, here we are out on this 3,500 acre ranch. And the link to us too on that is, you know, the, the West is such a critical part of our brand. And where we've, uh, where we've come from and celebrating the West, it's, in, it's, it's part of our mission statement. Uh, preserving uh, conservation around the West uh, is, uh, is a big part of what we do. And you know, the goal is every time Isaac makes this delicious liquid and we put it in a bottle, when we are taking a sip of that uh, delicious juice out of the bottle and you're looking around and you, know, you get that little, you get a feeling of the West in every sip
2: well and, and isaac i mean with the way that high you know high west operates in terms of being sustainable how much has that been consumer driven how much has that been driven by this beautiful nature how much has it been driven by the founder like why is sustainability at the core of high west's work
3: i think that it's been it's been a little bit of all of those i think part of it comes from necessity so when we first moved into this facility rocky mountain power um, had a terrible grid up here. So we needed to make sure that we were being as efficient with our energy as, as we could because, uh, you know, we get brownouts or blackouts, you know, pretty frequently. And so it was important for us to be able to kind of turn the switch back on really quickly, um, not consume too much power uh, and, and overwhelm the system. Since then, it's, it's become better. But, um, you know, it, it's something that I strongly believe in and, and um, you know, I've gotten a lot of support for like I said before, you know we, we source a lot of our almost 100% of our grain from within a day's drive of the distillery.
0: I jump in, Isaac, uh, one of the themes of this podcast has been that you need growth to be able to invest in sustainability. Obviously, you, this business was smaller a decade ago. There's been incredible investment on the sustainability side, but also on growing the business. When you think about that, where do you kind of respond to that message and, and how do you think High West has really kind of held that mantra? I mean, you're international. We can buy this product anywhere, but you're also setting an incredible standard out here on a mountain where when you built this facility, I mean, it cracks me up. Like, you, you didn't even have enough power. You guys needed to almost find the vision to make this a reality
3: yeah yeah so you know we we've had um, we've had that vision with us through all of you know design and commissioning through a couple different projects on site we talked earlier about our still so our still is is a hybrid pot still design so we're trying to take elements of this very traditional Scottish uh, you know whiskey tradition the the pot still our our pot still is made in Scotland Um, it's this beautiful 1500 gallon copper pot but then we've also added a, a four plate column onto it as well. And so um, rather than having to distill our beer twice to get from about 8% to about 75% alcohol, we can go in through one pass. And so our you know, cycle time on the still is about eight hours. So that dramatically reduces our, um, you know, our, our energy consumption on site. And so I think that um, you know, David Perkins realized that um, we're in the West, water is scarce, Power is hard to come by sometimes. And so he really tried to to put that into the design of the facility.
0: I'm curious, Ted, when you bring the brand out to people who enjoy it, we were just joking about, you know, uh, off camera, Keegan Rice, our photographer, has enjoyed uh, your brand before at uh, the at some skiing Jackson Hole events. It's all about partnerships. You have sustainability concepts. You have a product that's made really sustainability sustainably, but then you also want to empower the people who probably drink this product to really be thinking along those paths. Can you talk a little bit about how you might partner with other companies to, to really kind of keep keep this energy going, even maybe just in, in Keegan's belly. <laughs> well,
1: the, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll back up a second because I want to make sure that we take time to talk about the relationship with American Prairie Reserve, oh, <laughs> but but before that, so going backwards, for us, right, it was all about the, you know, what we have to do with our customers is tell, our, tell the story. So the, the conservation and the sustainability piece is really part of the story when you're tableside or at the bar talking to a customer because regardless of somebody's political belief, right? People want the story, and people are going to make purchasing decisions based on how they feel, right? That emotional connection around the brand. So when I hear Isaac talk about you know uh, everything within a day's drive and working up in Idaho Falls with one field and one customer, it goes back to it jogs my memory that I forgot about you know back in the day. You know, nine years ago when we started at Park City, we had, uh, we had, you know, stillage, right, which is a byproduct of the distillation process. That's all the leftover beer and mash that's, that, we're not, that, that doesn't go, uh, that, that stays after the process.
3: Everything but the alcohol.
1: Everything but the alcohol. we got to do something with it. So we partnered with this guy who was starting up uh, uh, Fernando. Uh, Gold Creek Farms. He was uh, uh, a cheesemonger out in Woodland, this little teeny place, and he's a Spanish guy. And he was starting his own little business. And so we worked a deal where we would give him all of our stillage. And so he would come. It's about a 20 minute, 30 minute drive from our saloon in downtown Park City. So we'd pump the stillage into the totes and he'd take it out there and he'd feed it to his cows. Uh, Super rich in protein and produces just absolutely if uh, you're if you're a, a cheesemonger, uh, that stillage produces just great milk to make cheese. So he would take his award winning cheese. The, the stillage. The cows would eat it up. You know, the joke after years was that the cows knew the truck when the truck would come to the farm and they would run to the farm to, because they knew they had like it was their five star meal of the of the week. Uh, and they would gobble up all the stillage, produce this delicious milk cheese and then we would take the smoked cheese and we would bring it back into the distillery into the saloon and we would put it on our charcuterie plate it was the cheese we put on our burgers. so we were able to tell this kind of full cycle story of just around stillage and i think about from a from a conservation piece and a, a partnership piece that really kind of set the tone uh for us
2: and and that consumer-facing side of it, which you touched on earlier, is so important because people in younger demographics are looking for purchases that they can make that are sustainable, that they can identify with emotionally. And if you guys are at the forefront of that, people are going to be drawn to that. And that's the economic benefit of doing it, but it's also the you know intrinsic value that you guys can have waking up each day with this as the background and know that you're doing something in your day-to-day life on the business front to protect it.
0: Well, that carries almost 10 years further, because you were talking about now you might use some of that waste and actually goes to a you you pipe something to a waste energy management plant uh, almost like 60, 70 miles away. Right. And that that creates energy. Can you go in a little depth to that
3: still is what we're talking about? It's our it's our waste product. You know, apart from feeding animals, we didn't totally understand what what we could do with it. But it's a it's a big problem. We generate twenty five thousand gallons a week, something like that. And so now we. we have taken that, in, that that waste management in-house. We pump it onto one of our trucks. They drive down to North Salt Lake, and it, then it goes to the North Salt Lake Wastewater Treatment Facility where it goes into an anaerobic digester and creates energy back for the grid. So we're able to... <laughs> um you know to give back so
1: we all know what an anaerobic digester is we actually visited one
0: we this is that would be our third poop to power is really what it's doing right in the in the layman's term no it's so exciting because it makes me think really at the beginning of this year we visited a this sounds really crazy this black soldier fly larva farm where they're breeding these little maggots that eat uh, the the same discharge from a different brewery or uh, distillery down in in Texas near College Station and there's so much innovation coming out of these breweries because you have waste that you as a business want to handle and deal with and you come up with innovative solutions. Either black soldier fly larva which is a little out there or you know in this case an anaerobic digestion and and turning it into power. It's just really exciting stuff Benji.
2: It really is and I mean it really comes down to the fact that everyone's trying to do their part in the business community when they're thinking about it from the consumer lens and thinking about it from a future you know you're you're not thinking about right now you're thinking about the next 10 20 years you want you want to have a sustainable business going into the future and you want to have young people working for you and and supporting you by purchasing your products and that is at the forefront of why you know a lot of people are doing sustainability efforts but oh by the way it also helps economically because you're taking a waste product and you're turning it into something that benefits society and that's you know something that you guys are investing in but you're also doing something that people care a lot about on the public lands and private land side and just protecting wildlife so we've talked about energy and we've talked about you know just general conservation and some climate you know benefits that you guys are working on but talk to us about american prairie reserve a lot of people don't know what american prairie reserve is um we're big fans of it at uh, the Conservation Coalition, but talk about what it is and what you're doing to be involved. Uh,
1: well, it really started goes back to our original mission statement and founding, which was uh, preserving the American West was uh, was was part of our mission statement at the very beginning. And we live in a state that is has um, I don't I don't know the details, but the public lands that we all use uh, as residents of Utah and, and uh, employees of High West, right? We're We're always down south, we're in the swell, we're wherever. Um, It came about about uh, eight years ago when we were toying around with this idea of of launching a bourbon. And one of our uh, board members and original investors had been involved, uh, Mike Leventhal, with the American Prairie Reserve in its infancy. And he brought the idea to David around, hey, we're toying around with this launching a bourbon. What if we partnered uh, with the American Prairie Reserve, and we did some, kind of that give back, right? Where we, 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 we negotiate some sort of a you know, pre-tax sales donation based on every bottle sold back to the reserve. Uh, so we launched the American Prairie Reserve is what it was called back Fantastic in the day. Product, the Fantastic, oh. delicious, sweet bourbon. And we gave 10% of our, pre-tax, our post-tax profits to, uh, to, to the reserve. Um, and that relationship is now eight years old and uh, I selfishly I feel pretty excited because I was able to this last summer, just a couple months ago, September, uh, I, I may be one of the first that actually kind of put boots on the ground in the reserve uh, and it was, a, it was just a cool experience and I've gotten to know the people and, and interfaced with, with the group and I'm really starting to understand their, what, what, their, what, what their mission is and what their goals are up there in the reserve and they see uh they see high west and we see them as that continuation of the original back of the napkin you know pencil sketch uh 12 14 years ago with david around you know the tenets of the business and preserving the west and uh again that has that has grown into this um into this relationship that is uh it's it's getting um uh it's getting more and more uh tight as the as the months and years go by. and can
2: people can you tell people what that 10% goes to and like what American Prairie Reserve does, you know, which is incredible work?
1: Yeah, so what American Prairie is trying to do, so their big picture is they are trying to, they're they're trying to restore and preserve the ecosystem up there in, in Montana back to pre-mid 1800s, pre-Homesteader uh, Act of 1862. Um, and they're trying to link uh, m- millions of acres of property combination of uh public lands along the missouri river up there in northeast montana uh with uh you know stitching together some some private lands that people that are trying to sell and they they go in and compete with other large companies if 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 a ranch wants to sell and trying to trying to put together this piece and ultimately uh you know get um bring the bison back uh these conservation herds uh and uh again preserve the ecosystem and get that ecosystem back to a couple hundred years ago where it was just a thriving healthy land um not that it isn't necessarily now but just trying
0: to get back to pre-days But what an incredible full circle, Benji, because we started out our first podcast on the road on Ted Turner's ranch overlooking wild bison herds and how and learning about how private conservation helped bring back the bison. And now we're learning about how your distillery is investing in really continuing that tradition through a nonprofit. I want to actually jump to you, Isaac, because you said something off camera that as a third generation Seattleite, I I really appeal to. You're born and raised in Utah. Salt Lake City is one of the fastest growing cities in, in the country over the last 10 years. Okay beautiful lands behind us beautiful national parks but as somebody who's born and raised here you have to be teaching the transplants to care about this land the way you do how do we do that as businesses let's say as high west distillery trying to teach other businesses to kind of invest the way this business has and how do we do it just as individuals as as a person who loves their home who wants to teach these transplants that maybe be stealing our lime bikes or something like that you know to to take better care of our land yeah great question
2: um lime bike stealing (laughs) that made a way into the podcast (laughs) finally (laughs) so um
3: yeah i I think it's a really good question salt so um i was i was raised going to national parks going to blm land going to national forests um, and really developed an appreciation of public lands and and just like the the freedom that, that it affords you and i think that utah is um is really, really fortunate to have a lot of public access destinations of all different types, right? So within, we're in Park City, Utah. So within five hours, we could be in high alpine um, mountains, we could be in uh, crazy red rock desert and, and everything in between. And so we as Utahns, uh, you know, whether that be me who's grown up here or, or anybody else who's moved here to, to experience it, um, we have this awesome opportunity and, and you know, potentially obligation to to enjoy this um like the public access we have so i think us as a business uh, can feature some of that with work that we're doing with the american prairie reserve um with you know stories and, and events that we could hold you know doing river cleanups on on public land whatever um but i think that you know we as a we as an organization have um, have taken steps in, in that direction it, it, and it's exciting to be a part of it
2: well and, and Ted i like you to elaborate this a little bit more but you know american prairie reserve is instilling this love for w- the wild in a way that i think hasn't really been done before because you're you're allowing private conservation to be at the forefront of kind of restoring, you know, wildlife to the way it was and habitat to the way it was, but you're allowing all different types, you know, with your partnership with the American Prairie Reserve, you're allowing all different types of people to use that land for different purposes and engage with it and be there. Can you expand on that a little bit and why that kind of plays into Saul's question?
1: Uh, there's, uh, well, the, the the two things they're really focused on is um, stitching together the largest landmass, continuous landmass, kind of fenceless in the lower 48.
3: About the size of Connecticut, right?
1: Uh, that's what it currently is. And it's ultimately the goal is to have it have it be uh, have it be larger. But, but they also they, they so so their their focus is on creating their own their own property um, that is 100 percent focused on conservation. But what I've learned uh, with with some time and meeting with people up there on the land and in their discovery center that's being built in Lewistown, all that stuff. They're also great educators, and they're trying to educate um, uh, ranchers all over Montana about uh, conservation efforts uh, within the within the confines of the business. I mean, nobody nobody doubts that Montana. I mean, you think of, you know, ranching and wide open in the West and American Prairie. I mean, I think everybody, most people would just you probably go to Big Sky Country in Montana. And so part of their mission as well is to educate the ranchers um, that are not interested in selling, that are not part of uh, that that don't fit their grid as far as their uh, their 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 ultimate land. On how to how to create wildlife corridors, how to, you know, change the way maybe you graze your cattle uh, to provide greater, greater biodiversity, Uh, create these wildlife corridors where, you know, one of the cool little things is uh, as part of their wild sky program, which is a, a, a conservation based way of ranching just one of the little things and ranchers can come in and they can subscribe to this and then the american prairie will come back and they will guarantee a premium on their product so on their on their cattle it's creating wildlife corridors where you take on a typical barbed wire fence you you the the top rung and the lower two rungs are barbless to allow for the antelope and the elk and the deer and the fox to migrate through without having to take the fence down and so I think that all ties and I go back to for us, right, it all gets back to that conservation piece. And one of the things we did, again, going back to our, our foundation was, uh, you know, we were very clear on how we were going to donate money that we put aside for the numerous requests from nonprofits and such. And uh, one of our criteria were uh, we were going to uh, donate to to companies and nonprofits that were part of conserving and preserving the American West.
0: I absolutely love that concept because I, I come from a family that we our number one issue is homelessness but we, we do it and we ask our customers to round up. They round up just a little bit or they throw their change in a jar and for a long time we just invested in homelessness as a company ourselves and then we kind of came to this point where it got pretty bad in the community and we decided we were going to put our 10000 up and ask other communities to, to join with us. And we were able to get other businesses to match that 10000 We were able to do a crowd crowdfund to build a shelter, but it really makes me think about what you're doing, and specifically, Isaac, what you're doing here. You're a distiller. You make this product, but you're so passionate about sustainability. Your company is really driving this forward. Can we go back to that education standpoint? How do you go about educating other distillers to maybe you know emerge out of their bubble of making a really good craft liquor and in engaging in these sustainability practices that you're so passionate about?
3: uh you know there are very very few things um, about our process here at high west that i won't share so i'll try and be an open book um and so you know we've had we've had a couple distillers who have worked for us who have gone on to bigger and better things and taken really cool positions at other at other companies and um you know i think that talking about sourcing and talking about um you know, this is what you should be looking at from a, uh, you know, a malt, uh, malt certificate of analysis standpoint, things like that. Um, I think that's really important for our industry. Um, one thing I did want to touch on is we look to the future and, and how we can kind of bring more people into the fold. The, the U S government, um, just is, is talking about expanding their energy star program and coming up with a specific certification for distilleries. And so, um, People who, who want to be a part of it will be graded on a zero to a hundred sliding scale. Um, and based on your position there, you can have different certifications or different awards. They're also looking at your incremental growth in, um, in like a rolling five-year term. So if you improve your energy consumption by X... Then you're eligible for an award and then it you know it brings people together in this community to share stories say hey you know this is something that we really struggled with and and this is how we fixed it and just create a forum where where you can share and and you know help grow the grow the industry because by its very nature distilling is really energy intensive you're boiling a bunch of alcohol for you know our cycle times eight hours right so you have all of this uh, energy applied to it and so the better we can structure our business, the better we can structure our operations. You know, it's it's great from a consumer story standpoint, but it it helps the bottom line. It helps you know all of us get behind the the goal and in uh, the you know the goal of the team and the in the business, and um, it just propels us forward. I think it builds longevity into into our business.
2: What I really like about that is kind of it's like it's. You, it's, it would set up an opportunity for you guys to compete with one another, to be the most sustainable, but also collaborate at the same time. And there isn't a market for that enough in the corporate community, let alone just distilleries. But, I mean, all, all industries want to be more sustainable. They aren't connecting with one another, as we found out on this trip. And they aren't able to, and there's really no structure there. And so I think, to your point, that would be incredibly impactful for not just this industry, but other industries that could be able to learn from each other and compete with one another and to the consumer be able to say, you know, we are sustainable and there's proof behind it. And, you know, here's how we're doing compared to other companies.
0: Well, and to even button that up and connect it, it makes me think when you were talking about dusting off the, the, the old laws to prove that, you know, we can have a distillery here. And it was actually Brigham Young who started it. it you know, one of on this journey, we went and saw this the very first... Uh, wind turbine farm that was offshore and it was pushed forward by a Republican governor and it makes me think about what you're doing with the conservation coalition Benji you're trying to bring together conservatives liberals business people enviropreneurs to try to build these bridges that you're doing here in in the liquor industry to really kind of build this bridge of changing and making America a more sustainable place going forward it's just really exciting stuff I want to though throwback, because you're gonna, you, you told me I could have a drink, yep. and it's not here yet, but we've spent a lot of time talking about sustainability, and I can can each of you talk a little bit about your favorite product that's produced here at High West, and, and tell us, like get me excited for the beverages that are going to be in front of us soon.
1: Well, let's, let, let's just clarify one thing. <laughs> the delicious whiskey that Isaac produces is a highly sustainable product over time, as opposed to <laughs> beer or anything else, so that, it can last in a bottle for a long 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 time time. there's not really an expiration date it's a good investment (laughs) it's an investment sustainable
0: investment (laughs) so isaac tell tell us a little bit about the whiskey here
1: so um
3: one product that that i'll touch on briefly that i'm really excited about it's near and dear to me and and uh you know the hearts of my teammates is high country single malt so um that will be released on december 1st it's it's a really limited offering this year um, next year, the year after the year after we're trying to ho- we're, we're hoping to grow the brand so you'll be able to see out in the market. We'll do about 450 cases this year. It's a hundred percent high West own make whiskey that's in the bottles. So we started off Ted mentioned it before making rendezvous rye. Uh, we've been pretty transparent about purchasing whiskey from other facilities and blending it together. And then packaging it as our own. So we're not just taking some whiskey from MVP, putting it into a bottle, and kicking it out the door. We're taking a whole bunch of different whiskeys and putting it out. As you can see behind us, you know, we've, we've made um, a lot of investment in our new make spirit production. And so we're trying to um, kind of uh, complete that narrative and say, yeah, you know, we've already shown ourselves to be competent blenders, but we're also showing that we can be competent distillers as too. And, and so... Um, high country single malt for me is that completion of the narrative and and something that i think we all take really seriously and and have a lot of pride in so that's my personal favorite product
1: uh i have a couple um my man primarily (laughs) uh because we do put uh we we do put part of our own make in all of our core product except for american prairie bourbon which which i'm I'm happy to talk about yeah Yeah, which we're working on. I, you know, Rendezvous is the go-to for me, just the, the edge, the soft edges, the butteriness of it. But I, I, I think we have a program now that has really been unique, and it's called our Barrel Select program. And I've had a couple of products out of that that are one-timer unique ones. But uh, we, did, uh, we took our Campfire blend, which is a blend of uh, bourbon, rye, and a peated scotch that is absolutely delicious. Um, Yeah, we call it our blue cheese whiskey. It's a love it or hate it, right? And um, uh, the people that hate it, it's good because it means it's more for those of us that love it. But we took this, uh, we we took this campfire and we put it in a freshly dumped, juicy, uh, Jamaican rum barrel. And so we let it, we we let it sit in this barrel for Nine nine months. And so you pull, you know, so I breeze and you pull all the the rum and the juicy and those sweet, those molasses characteristics into it, and it's just this dark, delicious, and it is just the most. I, I was blown away. And this last, this, we, this two years in a row, we've done this one, and and uh, you know, my bottle is going to last a little while, not too long. But that's uh, that's the one, and that program is just super fun. Of what we do, it's where it's we just we have. I think this year we have four hundred where we source all these different barrels from all over the world. Tara, our 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 little QC queen over there, just does a great job, and we put a bunch of different product, our own make, and we let it sit. So it's a it's a barrel finished. Co- um, Um, It's a barrel-finished whiskey. So you take a finished whiskey, put it in a barrel, let it sit, and then have it come out. And uh, so those those are my two.
2: Well, I mean, Americans love your whiskey, and they love your company, and they might not know about all the sustainability efforts here, but they're incredible. One final question from me is there are a lot of young consumers out there that want to purchase alcohol, but they also want to purchase sustainably. What can they do to drive these sorts of efforts forward, not only within your company but in the entire industry?
1: They being Con- young, consumer. y- young consumers. Drink High West. Yeah. <laughs> 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 hashtag. I, I can just. Dr- I hashtag can Drink, drink High me. West. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag Drink West. Um. I, that's it i am uh, you think about it. i'll take this I'll take yeah this, you're right. younger than i am so this might this might be more directed to you <laughs> i got about the same
3: amount of gray i think uh, i'm not sure so, um you know one of the things that the the covid era has been uh interesting challenging you know presenting a, a lot of a lot of uh, challenges every month it seems like one of the, the ways that we try to get past it is um dur- is going to uh the buzzword around is um omni uh uh what is it oh um, yeah uh, like an omni, omni distribu omni channel. channel distribution network thank you so we started selling online so a couple um a couple markets i think 10 markets now you can go online order through uh, i think drizzly is one of the um one of our collaborators and and order high west uh online which is new for us super exciting Uh, And I think just do your research. I think um, you know, reading online. I I think that there's a there is there is information out there, and um, I think for people who are invested in in buying sustainably, I think that um, I think that you got to do your research and and ask the right questions, and and don't be afraid.
1: I think the 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 two words that come to me is we've we've always with our sustainability sustainability and conservation efforts, we've always participated. But we haven't publicized, and and that was really from a from an early marketing perspective. Is you know our marketing was the saloon, and it was guests coming in and having a delicious old fashioned Manhattan at the bar, or having a schnitzel or a killer burger in the restaurant, and then you know our 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 marketing efforts were tableside and face to face, and we've always we've always used restraint um, from the standpoint of of talking about those those conservation and sustainability efforts because that we want it to be more about the liquid and we want to be able to communicate uh face to face and i think with american prairie it's a little more you know the, the story is a little more out there for people that that kind of look behind the the curtain and read the read the label and even in our even in our marketing efforts um so i guess where i'm going with that is is the young people just got to go online or they got to come into the saloon or out here at the refectory you know sit at the bar and have a the most delicious old fashion you've ever had and let our people kind of tell the story and 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 talk and that's how i think we, we 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 create longevity and that's i think the most important way that we can tell our story outside of opportunities like this with people that are uh, like yourselves that are that are committed to the cause and you know, this is the way we love to publicize what it is that we do
0: well this is so uh impactful i mean this journey started almost 50 days ago i'm i was almost tearing up listening to that i don't even know why i i just want that bourbon or that whiskey um no it's storytelling is so powerful and important and I know you you might be a little shy of telling your sustainability story but but we have to come in here and we need to shout it out that's why we have gone around the country because these stories are so impactful businesses are doing so much and I think it needs to go further than that delicious old-fashioned and and Benji that's where I I'm gonna maybe throw it to you for some final words here because I'm I'm losing mine but uh this journey is about telling the story of america's sustainability investment green energy investment and trying to bring us all together because we're a couple days from an election we're all trying to be spread apart But what we've learned on this journey is we have a common cause in our investment, in our climate and in our backyards. And if we can bring everybody together, if we can have these distilleries compete, if we can have politicians compete to be the most environmental and be a real steward of bipartisanship, we might create change that that we can't possibly imagine on this precipice of of what might be a tough day for our country.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I tend to set it better myself. I mean, I, th- I just think in general, it's so important that those who are working on these issues lean in, not just on the work, which you guys are already doing, but on telling the story, because it puts the pressure on others to do the same. It also helps uplift people. If people know that they're drinking something sustainable, you know, they're they're going to be happy about it. There's a little bit of extra you know happiness that comes from that. And you know, as we visited 33 different states up until now, we've seen these solutions in all different parts of the country, from all different backgrounds, from you know agriculture to, to energy, uh, to infrastructure, and everyone wants to do the right thing, but they need to be equipped with the knowledge to do it. And it's going to take you know the high wests of the world to lean in even more to say you know to your consumers in 50 states and internationally that this is part of the answer that you guys are part of the answer to fighting climate change and conserving wild spaces. You're not the only answer, but you're part of it, and you're doing your part as a business because that's what the 21st century and fighting climate change is going to be all about.
0: I'd say in summary, we've ended every conversation by letting our guests kind of give us a, a piece of advice for, well, it was what we should do next on this road trip, but we got a couple days in, in Utah, and we, we might have some national parks. What's your advice for somebody coming to Utah? What should they see if they have three days after they've, of course, hit High West Distillery? i'll I'll defer first response to
3: to the to the one who grew here sure sure um my favorite national park is is Canyonlands. i think that um you know it's it's stunningly beautiful it's pretty remote if you go into the right access point um i would highly highly recommend that uh goblin valley is is unbelievable um that would be that'd be a great uh great adventure as well um hard to go wrong fish lake national forest would be cold but beautiful right now so uh
1: i'm gonna go to the west of the green in the colorado to the other side of that colorado plateau uh which is down in the capitol reef uh grand staircase and and bryce you know the grand uh, uh, bear's ears that uh bear's ears is yes is on the other side but it's i'm i'm uh my, my favorite is down in that uh, Boulder Town and Torrey. And you do the drive from Torrey over to Bryce. And I think Bryce is one of the most spectacular for a day. Uh, and I have looked because I thought about sneaking out for a day over the weekend. Uh, you know, the weather down there right now is in the mid-60s for the high. You get to Zion and it's in the 70s. And uh, big open blue skies and that, that drive and that landscape from Torrey over to into Escalante and then over into Bryce is just is. S-
0: spectacular. The whole state. Yeah. Well, that, but I was gonna say in the end, Benji, we're about to do that drive, man. That's what comes up next for I'm us. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, excited. I'm, I'm, I'm. I might just, I'm, I'm gonna throw a little
1: a little bait, a little bait out there for right. the two right. of you. Uh-oh. So, no, just saying, right? So uh, Bryce is protected. Uh, Canyonlands is protected. Arch is protected, right? The Mighty Five. Capitol Reef is all protective. Uh, Grand Staircase was is question mark right as a national monument right that is up for debate there's the lawsuits because you know the president had shrunk that whole area and when you get down there and you see the vastness and the remoteness and uh the way the staircase actually works and you get boots on the ground and you see that landscape um it might just be enough for a couple of people that are that are obviously passionate about conservation um could help in uh in the in the fight to uh to maintain its uh its original boundaries and and that original landscape
0: opportunity and, accepted yeah well and we're gonna drive there we're gonna go look at it and I know this for the, I'm speaking on behalf of Benji here, but for the Conservation Coalition, their mission started four years ago, and it's not meant to stop in 2020. This Mm -hmm. is going to be a a battle for all of us. We're all millennials in the 21st century. This is our century of record, and the planet will really be how we are judged, how it looks when it closes. And so it's
2: imperative for us to keep wild spaces wild, and that doesn't just mean these open vast amazing places it also just means this globe it's a wild globe and we're we're having a negative impact on it and the only thing we can do is try to improve it
0: well, and that's what the goal of the electric Collection road trip was. We wanted to catalyze action, and now Benji, we got to catalyze some action because we got to go look at these national parks. We have to go get some perspective because, uh, as some I said, fun to be had. Yeah, because this doesn't <laughs> end in 2020. For everybody out there who's been on this journey with us, who's been listening, who's been enjoying these podcasts, these are meant to be educational. They're meant to inspire action. We're hoping you go out and you get involved in your community, start a business, get sustainable. Drink some High West uh, whiskey, maybe. Uh, That's what we're about to do. But either way, you can make a difference and there's something to be learned. It's been an absolute pleasure to be a part of this journey as the executive producer. Benji, close us out.
2: Well, to our viewers, thank you so much for your support along this entire journey. It has been an incredible journey and one that we'll never forget. And I truly hope that it's inspired people to take action. It has also provided some hope amidst one of the toughest times in our country's history. And to know that the future is sustainable and that there are people here in Utah and in pretty much every state across the country trying to do the right thing. We need more of them. We need more of you. And we're so honored to have taken this journey alongside you.
0: Well, with that, see you in 2021, folks.